This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I've lived and worked for the last 30 years. I started this podcast five years ago to reach out to those of you who might already be in therapy and very interested in emotional and psychological issues. To those of you who've just run up on some kind of problem, maybe you've been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers, but also to a very important third group of you who might tell your best friend, you know, I think that therapy stuff is a bunch of bunk, although you might use a stronger word than that, but you're just curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to listen to self-work. Welcome to all of you, and I'm so delighted to be back with you in 2022. Happy New Year to all of you as we continue to work for you here on the podcast. Self-work is growing by leaps and bounds, so a huge thank you to all of you who've been sharing and telling your friends about your experience here. Please subscribe wherever you listen, and my immense gratitude to any of you who've left review or rating. That lets people know we're still pumping it out and giving self-work listeners what you want and need and enjoy. And by the way, I'd welcome more questions through the voicemail. That's the SpeakPipe app in the show notes. And of course, you can also email me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. One listener left a written review, which is so awesome. I do love listening to this podcast because it helps me feel more normal in my depression, anxiety, trauma. I'm 41 years old, and I recognize that something is not right with me, but I bottle it up and shove it away. Thanks for sharing your experiences and help. So today, we're actually going to focus on learning how to soothe yourself and not bottle it up and shove it away. We'll look at what gets in the way of self-soothing happening, and as always, we focus on what you can actually do about learning the skill of self-soothing. The listener email today asks for some perspective or support about boundaries or walls in relationships, and especially when an apology, even a sincere one, isn't accepted. It can be heartbreaking, but I'll offer some ideas of what she could choose to try. So in this first fresh episode of Self Work in 2022, sponsored by AG1 or Athletic Greens, which was basically taking that was my first act of self-care on the very first day of 2022, we're going to be talking about self-soothing. I always knew when my dad was home. Of course, his car was in the driveway. That clue was obvious. But as soon as I opened the back door, I could hear music coming from the back bedroom. Some jazz, some groups he liked, but mostly classical. Symphonic music would fill the house with its gorgeousness, and I came to love it as well. Mozart, Rachmaninoff, Barber, Stravinsky, Chopin, you name it. My dad probably had the record. He also had a very emotionally difficult job as a funeral director, and I know now that's how he found calm after a long day. That and smoking a pipe. In fact, whenever I smell pipe smoke, I think of my dad. He also loved marching music. In fact, John Philip Sousa, to be exact. And he would march around in his boxer shorts and t-shirt, much to my mother's dismay. And I'd dissolve into giggles, applauding his every move, one of my best memories of my dad. So I learned from him that music could be soothing. In fact, a lot of what we think of as soothing, we probably learned at home. 
where someone can find great solace in sitting in a duck blind in the early morning sunrise, waiting in the quiet for just that moment when they spy their target. Others find that abhorrent and find soothing in a walk in a local botanical garden with all of its scents and sights, or running an eight-mile trek, sweating and feeling the burn. Some who are more extroverted find soothing in being with friends in a crowded coffee shop. Others more introverted, sitting and writing like I am now, finding putting words on paper highly soothing. Almost any activity there is on earth, you're going to find someone who finds that activity or experience soothing, where someone else would consider it worse than hearing nails on a chalkboard. (laughs) And even that may be something someone would like, although it's hard for me to imagine. So what's the actual definition of self-soothing? It's a behavior or practice that helps you regulate your emotions. We often hear this term used when babies are learning to sleep and the two parents argue about whether to let the baby cry it out or not. One finds that idea monstrous, the other practical. However, probably neither parent finds it terribly easy. And as usual, you'll find experts who'll tell you different things. But it is an eventual skill that babies and toddlers learn how to do that when they wake, they can self-soothe and get themselves back to sleep. Whether that's because mom or dad came in and rocked them, or they eventually could hold on to the idea that they weren't alone and they could drift off again. But what about us as adults? As we get older, certainly, self-soothing becomes ever more important. When your best friend moves away, when a grandparent dies, when you're bullied at school. And in healthy families, parents or older adults are there to help you soothe, to hold you, to model how to grieve and then soothe yourself to share your feelings and be there with you in them and then help you think through things, to work through hard feelings and regain some sense of calm. But as we know all too often, parents do a horrible job of creating this kind of environment where their kids feel safe and cared for, even when things get rough. And some things can happen where the stress of the family is just too much and the child does not feel safe or secure. Poverty, neglect, abuse of any kind, alcoholism or addiction. Yet we also know of many people who come from such backgrounds or have experienced failure after failure or developed life-altering medical conditions and have found a way to self-soothe. In fact, I found an article about famous people who had learned that part of thriving was learning how to soothe. And I'll have that link in the show notes. There are obviously some very troublesome and destructive ways to calm down. Drugs, alcohol, porn, obsessive compulsions, spending money you don't have, manipulation of others so you feel in control, aggressiveness. This last one, the aggressiveness, made me think of a Lewis Howe story he told me about himself, that to find a weird sense of calm when he was younger, he'd pick a physical fight. Not until one of his best friends told him he didn't want to hang out with him anymore did he realize that something was wrong, and the real wrong was sexual abuse in his history a fact that he'd never revealed. When he did, he didn't need to find soothing in fighting. His real fight was internal, not external. You can listen to this in the link in the show notes. But before we go on, let's hear from Athletic Greens. They have a special offer for self-work listeners that's incredible, and you get some great free stuff. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, 
you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash selfwork. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash selfwork to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So let's talk about compartmentalization for just a minute. I've already done one episode on it, and that link will be in your show notes. It's when you have feelings that you find difficult or even intolerable, and so you use a defensive mechanism to protect you. You suppress the emotion or the memory of the experience and stow it away from your consciousness for that moment. It could actually be a very good skill to have. For example, if my dog had died this morning, but I knew I needed to get this podcast recorded, then I'd need to compartmentalize my sorrow. Then when I had the time, I could get that sorrow back out again and feel it, work through it. That's a healthy ego skill to have, a self-skill. However, it's when you do this habitually and then rarely, if ever, reconnect with those feelings that it can become harmful, if not even dangerous. I talk a lot about this with Perfectly Hidden Depression, and my second book on the topic is going to feature this. In fact, the working title right now is, It's What You're Not Saying. Also could be What You're Not Feeling. But anyway, I digress. You can probably see what can happen over time. You suppress and suppress and suppress And what suppression means is it's a voluntary or conscious process as opposed to repression, which is an unconscious process. But basically, you never learn how to work through hard stuff except by shoving it away. And then what can happen actually is that conscious suppression, what you know you're doing, can morph into unconscious repression. And you truly aren't aware of the process anymore. Again, this has to do with perfectly hidden depression. It's kind of like what happened to Lewis Howes when you think about it. He'd suppressed his feelings about his sexual abuse and even repressed them to a certain extent. Maybe you've had this experience of talking to someone from your childhood or your past, and they're telling you of a memory they have of you, which you don't have yourself. This happened to me several years ago when a friend I went to college with reminded me of a time when I was driving both of us back to school. We'd had an accident. It was bad weather, my car had slid, and we'd hit one of those bridge abutments. We weren't hurt, but I called my dad, etc. I looked at him just blank, almost dumbfounded. I didn't remember that accident at all. When he said the words, a flashback came to mind of my car headed toward the abutment, but I had no conscious memory of it. It was strange because I'd been a terrible driver when I was young and had had lots of accidents, but somehow... I'd completely repressed that memory. Okay, back to self-soothing. What can happen is that rigid compartmentalization can lead to suppression and then repression, and you obviously never work through feelings that are vital to work through. And here's the deal. They don't go away. They just become more potent, kind of like garbage that you've tied up tightly, but it's still in your garage. 
and if you open it, it stinks to high heaven. It's actually gained potency because of you trying to tie it up tight. You can use compartmentalization to self-soothe, and it's a good skill, but if you use it all the time, it's very dangerous to your true stability. And sadly, tragically, I've heard many stories in the last two or three years from people who had loved ones who did this and had actually taken their own life when they were triggered by some kind of memory and the present became intolerable, kind of like that garbage being opened up. They did not know what to do with all those feelings. In fact, if any self-soothing technique is the only one you use or know, whether it's compartmentalization or whatever it is, whether it's food or hunting or exercise or even music, as strange as that sounds, only having one technique can be a problem. I've talked to countless college students here in Arkansas, for example, who are homesick their freshman year, and they can get very depressed and anxious as a result, really lost without their family or friends. So, I begin asking about their daily routine. What do you do when you're feeling lonely? I call my mom. What do you do when you're walking to class? I'm texting my mom. What do you do on the weekend? I go home. What do you do when you first get to class? Nothing. I'm texting my best friend at home. You can see what's happening. Of course, it could be dad as well. (laughs) Let's talk about the pandemic for a bit and how it's interrupted how so many of us self-soothe. Extroverts got hit very hard because of isolation. Kids who are learning social skills and depend on the structure of school to help them learn academically hit very hard. Couples who depended on their jobs for some downtime from onboard parenting and, of course, for a sense of accomplishment as well as some social engagement again hit hard. Perfectionists hit hard. Teachers, oh my gosh. So many of the things that we use for soothing weren't available. And the ambiguity of when is it all going to end, also very hard to soothe. People who were already pretty good at internal self-soothing probably did the best. And we'll talk about what that is in just a second. If you've used externals for soothing, sports events, vacations, travel, that kind of thing, you've also been hit hard. So as always, we talk here at Self Work, even in 2022, about what you can do about it. Here's my question to you that I'd suggest you ask yourself before you engage in whatever soothing behavior might be your choice. Now, let me make clear that I certainly haven't come up with the magic key to curing addiction or obsessive compulsions. Both of those things take very hard work. And in fact, next week, we're going to have an interview with Kimberly Quinlan, who's written a fabulous book on treating obsessive compulsions. So that's next week. But here is a question to help you figure out what can you do about it. To help you begin to detach from the immediacy of the need for soothing. Because you see, immediate gratification is part of the problem. I'm lonely, so I'll eat. Or I'm lonely, so I'll gamble. I'm mad, so I'll look at porn. I'm sad, so I'll drink to take the sadness away. Or I'll call my mom. None of these are long-term solutions. There are ways to immediately distract from what hurts or is uncomfortable. Fatigue, boredom, loneliness, anger, sadness, disappointment, whatever. You want it to go away right now. And that's part of the problem with self-soothing. It takes practice to learn how to do these things. And sometimes it doesn't go away immediately, even when you use a healthier technique. But here it is. Here's this technique. 
try asking yourself this question. What do I believe that food or talking to my mother or porn, whatever the predicted soother, will do for me that I can't do for myself? Or I'm telling myself I can't do. What else could I try in this minute? What am I looking for from that activity or experience? How else could I get that thing? Actually, it's more than one question, I guess. You explore the possibilities instead of saying, I'm so sad I'll drink or I'm lonely so I'll eat. You explore the possibilities. Maybe I could journal. I could talk to the person next to me. I could go for a walk. I could turn on music. I could call someone other than the person I always call. I could do something different than what I always do. And this is so important. I can expand my options for self-soothing. I'm going to say that again. I can expand my options for self-soothing. This is so important. You want to build a set of techniques, of skills that can soothe. You know, sometimes I want something salty and greasy. I find that soothing. But I don't want to use that option very much. My heart won't like it. So what else is on my palette of options? You want to know what's on your palette. You want to be able to list four, five, six things that you can do to help yourself stabilize your mood. I promise you, if you practice enough and if you diversify enough, you will be able to learn to self-soothe. You know, as I was writing this morning, I realized just how long it had been since I'd listened to music. Far, far too long. So I'm going to end this episode with just a bit of the piece of music I find most self-soothing. Emotional, true, but it's very soothing. I usually cry when I hear it. If you want to listen to the whole thing, here's the link. Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. about you, but I feel so much more calm, and you should listen to the whole, I think it's about 11 minutes. It's incredible. But on the topic of self-soothing, please discover your options and make sure you have several so that you can soothe yourself. Friends are great. Fried chicken is okay every now and then. Even moms can be quite awesome. But you'll feel so much more confident if you know you have several options within yourself to self-soothe. And of course, if self-work is one of those, I'm more than honored. Our listener email is a painful one to hear. What do you do if you've screwed up somehow and someone in your life won't forgive you or accept your apology? Let's hear from this listener. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I want to thank you for this article about the lack of closure in a relationship. I had a a falling out with my daughter-in-law, who, in my estimation, was exhibiting covert narcissist 
behavior. And I've written an amends letter, and I thought it was accepted, which gave me a little bit of hope. But I spoke to our son last night, and he reiterated that there will be no closure because he was told and feels that it was abusive. This listener sounded to me as if her apology was sincere, but she didn't totally understand why her behavior was being called abusive. Maybe it was a pattern. Her son and daughter-in-law may have tried to talk to her before, or they may have all of a sudden hit her with feelings that had been mounting for a long time. That's unclear. But I did get concerned about a couple of things as I listened. Sometimes when people who are in each other's lives find conflict, negative psychological labels get applied to each other's behavior. You're so irresponsible, or you're so bipolar, or, you know, whatever it happens to be. It's a negative label. Now, you can never know what a more objective person might decide. But narcissism has become the diagnosis of the decade and is being used in situations where it may or may not apply. Again, I have no idea. But it certainly sounded as if this listener had labeled her daughter-in-law's behavior as what she called covert narcissism. She also says her son was told how to respond at first, then altered that to, and he feels. So it sounds as if she's leaning toward believing that her daughter-in-law is in charge of her son's response. Again, a little unclear and the tape cut her off before she could explain more. But what is obvious, no matter what you call it, this daughter-in-law and mother-in-law have not gotten along for quite some time. The son seems to be siding with his wife and agreeing that his mom has been abusive. So, what could this listener do now? Her apology was not accepted. Closure wasn't happening, right now at least. And maybe it will never be offered. Maybe the couple won't be open to it and are truly closing out the relationship. And of course, that would be very difficult and grieving needs to occur. But it's also the case that perhaps this family, all of them really, need time. Generally, if you push or go to court, tensions will arise even more. So I'd recommend accepting their stance for now, but saying you hope that later they'll consider family therapy that you will pay for in the beginning at least. Time can heal a lot, if allowed to. And taking the stance of, I'm here and willing to do whatever it takes, can mean a lot when trust has been lost. It's truly all you have control of anyway, so accepting that is part of the work. If you have grandchildren, what you can do is begin a scrapbook for them, so they'll know that during the time that you weren't with them or weren't allowed to see them, whatever the rules are, that you were thinking about them, that you were gathering things you thought they might like. You can get control over what you can and hope that things might change. Now, this isn't the same as taking all the blame, but it is being open to the idea that this couple might need more time to attempt to have a better relationship. And the listener could enter individual therapy in the meantime to try and figure out what her responsibility for the problem might be. Therapy will help either way. So I certainly hope That's what she decides. A 
Again, I'm smiling ear to ear to be back with you in 2022. I've started a fairly new podcast, and it's an interactive podcast. It's on the Fireside app. It's called firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. That's firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. And we're going to be discussing topics that I talk about here on the Self Work Podcast at Self Work Chat. So that link will get you access to Fireside, and then you can become a member and follow me, and then you'll find out when I'm doing these self-work chats. And we actually can talk, which I'd love. As I said in the beginning, please subscribe wherever you listen. For those of you who are interested in Perfectly Hidden Depression, it is still on sale and, in fact, doing quite well. You can get it in paperback, in Kindle, which a lot of people are doing, or as an audiobook. If you give it a read and you like it or you don't, please leave me a review on Amazon. That would be awesome. I also have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We have 3,100 people now in that group from all over the world, and I'd love to have you. So thanks again for being here. We've got an exciting 2022 for you with even more great interviews, more topics. Feel free to send in at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com a topic that you'd like for me to cover, and I'll do it to the best of my ability. And of course, there's always the SpeakPipe app because I love to hear your voices. Again, thank you for being here. Please take very, very good care in these still very physically and medically dangerous times. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self